Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 17 through 24, the story of Elijah the prophet as he has made himself a companion in the uh, elderly widow of Zarephath. Uh, she is, um, when he meets her, uh, in very tough, in very dire straits, she has very little, all that she has uh, is a little food and a son that is shortly to be taken from her. Uh, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. Then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived, and Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is the truth. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the Gospel according to Mark in the fifth chapter, beginning of verse 21 and continuing through verse 24. This is the beginning of an extended story of a pair of healings that Jesus visits on some people that he encounters in his travels through Galilee. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. When Jesus had crossed Again, in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet, and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Though last Sunday was, according to our secular calendar, Father's Day, every Sabbath day has been set aside especially for us to celebrate the goodness of our Heavenly Father. As it happens this morning, our appointed gospel reading from the Revised Common Lectionary has to do with fathers and their children. Here in the fifth chapter of Mark, we are introduced to a local synagogue leader 
who sought out Jesus when news had reached him that the rabbi had landed. He was in the neighborhood. Now, in those days, religious leaders were generally pretty well-respected people, and consequently, they were afforded a, a status in their village of some means. Once upon a time, it used to be that way in our own land, when in every little town and village, there were at least three professionals who were sort of the backbone of the community. There was the doctor, there was the lawyer, and there was the preacher, all of whom had undergone roughly the same amount of time in rigorous educational preparation for their calling, and each of whom were paid roughly the same for their service to the well-being of the citizens of their town and to the contribution that they were making to the larger society. So when the head of the synagogue makes his way toward Jesus, the crowd, even then, was likely to have made way for him to approach as they knew him and afforded him a courtesy that was befitting of his office and his role. And then Jairus, this, this VIP, if you will, does something surprising and a bit scandalous, really. He falls at Jesus' feet. He prostrates himself in front of this roaming teacher, this traveling preacher, in a remarkable show of humility. And by this act, Jairus is making a powerful statement about Jesus. He is embodying right there in the street uh, a message at least as powerful, if not more so, than any he has spoken to the people who had assembled inside the synagogue. Perhaps on this day he has come to meet the one whom he believes is greater than he. Perhaps he has come this day to meet the one whom he hopes is greater than he. We can only speculate. But what we do know is that which has led Jairus to this encounter, and that is his little girl. The leader of the synagogue is more than just a religious figure. He is also a father figure. He has a family, a wife, and at least one daughter. The text infers that there may have been other children in the family as well, but also infers that if not the only, she was likely the youngest of the household. She's 12, an age at which she's on the cusp of becoming a young woman, but she's not quite there just yet. Her parents are the ones responsible for her safety, her security, her well-being, and at this moment, they are at their wit's end. She's sick, and not with a cold, she's mighty sick. So sick that, as the New Revised Standard translates the idiom, she is at the point of death. The Greek word the author choose, chooses here to use to describe her condition was that she was eschatos, meaning literally at the end. And the girl's mom, she was at the end. And the girl's dad, he was at his end. 
And what did he seek after? And what did he find at the end? Jesus. The same one who is there for us at the end. When Jairus came to Jesus, he begged him repeatedly, come, come with me. Come heal my sick little child. We can infer that either he knew her to be clinging to life at that point, or he believed her to be clinging to life at that point. But as the story would go on to tell us, by the time Jesus responds, the mourners were already there at the house. Just like the story of Lazarus in the gospel according to John, Jesus arrives too late. The patient had already passed, and everybody gathered around the victim knew it. At least dad tried. He did everything in his power to save the life of his child. Wouldn't we? Is there anything we wouldn't do, anything we wouldn't give to save our beloved daughter or son? Even if it came to turning the situation over to Jesus. Jesus saves. I know because I've seen this saying on innumerable bumper stickers. I've seen it on countless billboards. I've seen it on a gigantic banner plastered to the side of a parking deck in suburban Los Angeles. My guess is that Jairus knew this to be the case by reputation. Jesus had been traveling about that region performing Many miracles for and among the people and word of his deeds must have made him a bit of a celebrity there. Knowing some of the things he had done, the leader of the synagogue probably held out hope that Jesus could save even one as sick as his own daughter. But Jesus does not prevent the death of Jairus' daughter. How often are we disappointed by what he has not done for us? We seek him out and we humble ourselves by admitting that something is is too big for us to overcome on our own. That we are at the end. We're at the end of the road. and, And then Jesus, he fails to come through for us. There were some in the funeral party at the house of the synagogue leader who may have been wondering about those rumors they heard concerning this fellow. How disappointed Jairus must have been when he realized that they had come too late. The end of the road had come and the end of the road had gone for this girl. But the remarkable story in the gospel according to Mark doesn't end there like Paul Harvey used to say. Now, the rest of the story. As we alluded to in last week's sermon that dealt with Jesus demonstrating his control over the forces of nature, the winds and the waves, his power does not stop here. No, it goes much further indeed. And here it goes so far as to show that even the grave is no barrier for him. Just as God had allowed Elijah to revive the son of the woman he was staying with at Zarephath, Jesus is a reminder that God's 
ability to save does not extend simply to this life, but it goes beyond, which may be in part why the Heidelberg Catechism begins by asking the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And then goes on to supply the answer, which begins that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It may be in part why all of Scripture opens with the account of God at the beginning of the world and concludes with God at work at the end of the age. As the text would go on to tell us later on in this chapter, Jesus puts out all from the place where she lived, all except the family and his disciples, so that they can be alone together. And then he restores her to life and to health. And this was one of the readings from another gospel account that was included in our Sunday school lesson for last week. The author of that study pointed out for us that the faith which Jairus had in Jesus was great. And that was what contributed to the outcome. The man of some status who humbled himself before a traveling teacher is blessed by God in a manner which extended beyond Jairus himself. In the very same manner which Jesus himself, a man of rather great, even divine status, would humble himself in obedience to the will of his father and be given a blessing in a manner that extended way, way beyond Jesus himself. That may be a part of it. I'm not entirely sure. But for some reason, this once dead girl was happily revived. And by doing so, the author of the gospel enlightens us to yet another dimension of Jesus' awesome power. We are thus reminded that the one who is there for us at the end of the road is the one who is, after all, the chief end of man. He is waiting there for us at the end, just as he has been with us since the beginning, when he created each and every one of us, his children, unique, yet all in his image. A couple of days ago, I was having a conversation with a friend who also happens to be a pastor. He was telling me about the recently concluded vacation Bible school that his church had hosted with assistance from two other local congregations on the Virginia Eastern Shore. He remarked that it was amazing to see the way in which the Spirit of God had worked in and on and through the families that were involved in the activities of the past week, the joy that was experienced, the blessings that they had received from their engagement with the Scriptures and the one to whom all Scripture testifies. And they hadn't waited until the end of the road to experience the truth behind the bumper stickers, the billboards, and the parking garage banners. Jesus saves he does so in often surprising ways and at surprising times. There is nothing too big for him to control. There is no obstacle or enemy that he cannot overcome for us should he choose to. God is there in Jesus at the end of the road as he was for 
Jairus and his daughter, but he's also there along the way. He was there for the leader of the synagogue for as long as he had been the leader of the synagogue and before. And Jesus is there for us as long as we have been too. So my prayer for us this day, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is that we will be reawakened to the saving knowledge of God in Jesus. That we will humble ourselves and seek his aid in all of our endeavors along the way, rather than simply waiting until we find ourselves at the end. Oh yes, he'll be there too. But we've no need to wait until then to know, to experience, to joy in the good things, the blessings the Father has in store for his children at any age, the blessings that extend far beyond ourselves and even our own households. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God.